that loud there. There we go. <laughs> um, hope you guys all had a good week. Uh, hope you that um, were able to find some rest. And like we talked about last week uh, in, in Jesus this past week. And, and hopefully you're able to take the message from last week and, and identify some areas in your life that, that you were trying to control and that was um, not allowing you to find rest and, and find rest in him that, that, that he offers us. So, so I, I just pray that, that, that you're able to apply what we talked about last week. Um, so this week as we continue our study of Hebrews, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the concept of what, what a high priest is. Uh, and, and more importantly, what that looks like uh, in, in our life today. Um, there'll be a little history lesson as to what it looked like from the Old Testament. But really, we want to focus on what does that look like in our, in our, in our lives today. So the title of this message is, uh, What Does Your High Priest Do For You? Uh, so before we get in, let's, let's pray one more time. We can never pray too much. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into what God wants us to learn today. So dear Lord, we come to you again in prayer. Um, and we just thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to pray. Uh, we, we, there, there's no requirements. There, there's, there's no right way to do it, Lord. We just have conversations with you. So we just thank you for that opportunity that you are so accessible to us that, that we can come to you as much as, as, as we can, as much as we, we want, and to talk to you, Lord. So I just ask you now just to, uh, to speak uh, through me um, into our hearts and our minds and to, to learn uh, what you want to teach us this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> So as I, as I was preparing the message this morning, I was brought back to my childhood. So for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Staten Island, New York, and uh, every once in a while the accent kicks in. Uh, talked to mom yesterday, so it might kick in a little bit more than normal. But, um, and for those of you who also don't know, in Staten Island, New York, there's, there are a lot of Roman Catholic um, people that live in, in the Northeast in general, but especially in New York. And as I was preparing the message, I'm like, I think every one of my friends growing up was, was Roman Catholic. And, uh, and the thing that always struck me as, I'll use the word odd or strange, and I've told my mom this because she grew up Roman Catholic as well and, and married a, a pastor, which, which was always interesting in our house sometimes. But it were all the rituals that, that, Roman, that my friends had to do, right? So they had confession on Saturday afternoon. Right? They had catechism class on Wednesdays, right? which was always no fun because we were ready to go spend some time outside and play, and, and all my friends were, were going to catechism class. For those of you who don't know what catechism class is, it basically is going for two hours and learning the Roman Catholic catechism. Um, so it didn't sound very exciting to me, so I was glad I didn't have to do that. Um, they all had to wear these, these uniforms to school. So, so like as a young child, like this is pretty strange. You know, they have all these rituals that they follow. But to me, one of the strangest ones was the, the idea of confession, right? And, and again, I'm, I'm, there's no offense if you are Roman Catholic or grew up Roman Catholic or, or have friends that are Roman Catholic. But, you know, the whole idea behind strict Roman, Roman Catholics is that the, the, God, the priest is your, is your go-between, between you and God, right? So they had to go to confession. They had to go into this dark, ornate box. They were separated by a wall. They couldn't see the person on the other side, right? And they confessed their sins to the priest who was on the other side of the wall that you couldn't see the person. And, and then the priest would go tell you, could go do some Hail Marys or whatnot, and not the Doug Flutie or Aaron Roger Hail Marys, you know. This is a rote prayer of confession that you went and you prayed, and then you're free to go about your, about your business. 
And for me, growing up in, in, a, in a Christian home, my dad being a pastor, is, that's just, that was odd to me, right? Because I was always taught God was there anytime I wanted him. He was there for me to have a conversation, right? He was a living God. He wasn't a God who lived in a box, in a dark box behind a wall that I couldn't access myself. You know, so, but as I was preparing this week, I began to understand where this idea came from that, that the Roman Catholic Church b- believes in, in the role of the priests, right? So this morning, we're going to talk about, again, about the historical background of what a priest or a high priest is, but then more importantly, how it changed through uh, the arrival and, and crucifixion and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus, so I pray that this, this idea makes a little better sense to you as we go through. So, again, the, in, in this part of Hebrews, the author continues with the common theme of Jesus is better. All right, the last two Sundays we learned about how Jesus was better than Moses. Right, and, and while we talked about and while Moses was a great man, and during the Exodus he performed miracles after miracles, and, and to leading the Israelites uh, into the desert, Moses didn't, was unable to deliver them to the promised land. He wasn't able to get them to that land that God had for the Israelite people. He wasn't able to finish the deal. As we talked about last week, Jesus was the only way, the only person who was able to to deliver us into that promised land. And the promised land for us is finding that eternal rest in heaven. So as we we find, um, and we find that only through our rest, through our faith in him. So this Sunday we're going to look at how Jesus is greater than the priesthood. And in particular, the high priest that was established in the Old Testament. All right, but before we can see how Jesus is greater than the priests, again, we need to understand the background of who these priests were in the Old Testament. So a brief history lesson. There won't be a test. Um, hopefully this makes a lot more sense when, you're, when we're done here. So back in Exodus 28, God realized that his people needed someone to help teach them how to worship him. All right, they're wandering the desert. They're following Moses, but if, as you read through the Exodus story, they don't do a very good job all the time of worshiping God, of worshiping him. So God realized he needed to appoint people to help them with this. So he begins to appoint priests out of the tribe of Levi, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, to, to hold this important job. And the role of the priests was very simply to oversee the operations of the tabernacle and to help people maintain their relationship with him. So much like a pastor in today's church, right? The, the role was to help the people live a life following God, to teach them how to do this, to teach them how to worship him every day. And that was the role of the priests. Uh, the only difference, though, is in the Old Testament time, like we already talked about, people could not come to God directly. They had to go to the priest. They had to bring their concerns and bring their prayers and bring everything to the priest who then bought it to God, much like the role of the Roman Catholic priest at this point, where I would believe this is where the Roman Catholics got this idea, the priest being the, the, the middleman. So they acted as an intermediary. Intermediary, right? It's a weird word to say. But what Webster says is this is someone who acts like a link between people in order to bring about reconciliation. Think, I'm going to age myself here. Think Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost right? Or uh, maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, either way, all right? Um, 
But the intermediary is somebody that helps link two people together. Right? So in the Old Testament, you had the Israelite people who were wandering the desert, and you had God. But in order for them to communicate, the priest had to stand in the middle. Okay? So that was the role of the priest in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament times. So as I was preparing this week, I'm like, why did God set it up that way? Right? Why did God establish this idea in the Old Testament only to know that later on he was going to give us Jesus so we didn't have to have the priest? You know, and maybe that's the reason why. Maybe it, it, was, it was to show, hey, Jesus is better than the Old Testament. All right, so I'm going to give you this way to, to, to live and communicate with me to where you need a priest or you need the priest to be able to talk to me, but I'm going to give you Jesus to show you he's better. All right, and I don't have the right answer for you, but I just, just an idea, one theory behind it is that Jesus, this is just another way that Jesus is better than, than the Old Testament, the Old Testament times, because we don't need this intermediary. And again, so while the original intent was to give the priest the opportunity to serve both God and his people, eventually the priests began to think of themselves as greater than they were. Right? They lost the focus of that they were there to serve the people, and they took advantage of their positions, and they started to, in a way, I'll say, exploit the people in a way. Right, so the priests lacked humility. They lost the humility. They forgot what their role was. They forgot what their job was. And as a result, they became, uh, they developed animosity towards Jesus. Right, we talked about this last week. They didn't like Jesus because of the message he was preaching. Right, he was preaching the people, the Jewish people, a message of, you don't need the priests. You just need me. And the priests didn't like this. And as a result, they continued to persecute Christians. And, and as, as we read, and we'll get to here in a second, as, as you read it when you get into Acts, right, these priests, even after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, they continued this message of Jesus is not the Messiah. So that, that's the role of the priests in the Old Testament scripture. Right? Now, now, what's the difference between a priest and a high priest? Basically, the high priest was in charge of all the priests. Right. The high priest held a greater position of honor uh, than, than, the, than the rest of the priests. They wore, they wore a special robe. If you want to read it, go, go into Leviticus. It talks in detail about the robe that the high priest wore. Um, they had to be a descendant from the line of Aaron. Okay. Aaron was Moses' assistant during the Exodus. All right. Aaron was elevated to the role of high priest when Moses doubted God's ability to speak through him. So Moses asks for Aaron to be promoted to high priest, and God does this in Exodus chapter 4. And then in Exodus chapter 28, God appoints Aaron in this role of high priest. Okay, so while the priest assisted the Israelites with their daily worshiping and living, the high priest was really used when people were trying to determine the will of God. So I guess the priest didn't have a direct enough line enough, so they had to go to the high priest who had the special line, like the bat phone. He had the bat phone. And this talked to God about, I want to know the will of God, so they go to the high priest. The other important duty of the high priest was to offer sacrifices to God on the Day of Atonement. Right? And the, if you want to throw that graphic up there. So Leviticus 16 gives us great detail to how this was to be done. And we've talked about this before. 
There are special instructions of what to be followed on the Day of Atonement. So on this day, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, right? And so all here on the left, the Holy of Holies. And only only person that could enter this area of the temple was the high priest, right? As he as he and the whole point was to to offer sacrifices for the Israelites for their sins they've committed. All right, so this is where God dwelt. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, right? In between the holy place and the holy holies was this, this uh, thick curtain that separated, um, so so there was so you could not see the presence of God. And the high priest went in there. Uh, so the high priest was extremely important in the Old Testament Jewish, Jewish culture. In fact, when the high priest went in there, there there's, there's stories that they would actually tie a piece of rope to his foot in case he didn't make it out so they could drag him out of the, the Holy of Holies. Right? So, so the high priest's important job was on this Day of Atonement was to go in and to offer sacrifices for the Israelite people. But again, these guys weren't without fault. If, if you read... Through the account of Aaron, there's plenty of times where he, he makes mistakes, the golden calf and all that other stuff, right? So, so they weren't perfect either, um, even though they were appointed by God, which is important for us to realize that while there's all these high priests mentioned in Scripture, there's only one great high priest, and that's Jesus Christ, right? No other priest deserves our praise and our honor, except for him. And my prayer is that by the end of this, we see how or why Jesus is so important in this role, and more importantly, how we're supposed to honor him uh, with our lives every day. So that's enough of the history lesson. So uh, let's get to Scripture. Hebrews 4, we're going to read through the entire portion here, and we'll, and we'll come back. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. And it says this. It says, Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Continuing in chapter 5, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I think there are three characteristics or three types of high priests that the author of Hebrews wants us to learn this morning. 
But before we get to them, I want to set the stage a little bit more for this portion of Hebrews. If we, if we look at <clears throat> this portion of Scripture in verse 14, right, it starts with the word therefore. Right? Again, we talked about last week, therefore is a transitional or a linking word. So it generally means that it's going to refer us back to another part of Hebrews. Um, and generally, it requires action on our part. So right here, this is going to link us back to Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. So go ahead, flip back a couple of pages in your Bible or scroll back a couple of pages in your phone. All right, we're going to go to Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. So the author of Hebrews is referring back to this section of Scripture uh, when, in, in verse 14. So it says this in Hebrews 2. <clears throat> it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he has to be made like them. This is the part we need to focus on. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to make those who are being, he's able to help those who are being tempted. All right, so this verse and what's to follow in the, in the end of chapter 4 speaks to the huma- humanity of Jesus Christ. Right? It's important to remember Jesus had to become like us so he could fulfill the role of our high priest. Right? As a, so then as a result, we could have the ability to spend eternity with him. Don't lose, don't lose focus of the fact that Jesus was fully man and fully man. Right? He had to be both in order for us to have eternal life. <clears throat> so let's look back at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 again to look at the humanity of Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The humanity of Christ. Right? Did you know that verse 14 is the first time that the name of Jesus is actually mentioned in Hebrews. Up to this point, the author of Hebrews never uses the actual name of Jesus. He uses he or him or or references to him, but never actually uses the name of Jesus until verse 14. I believe, again, this is a way to try to give these, uh, these Hellenistic Jews confidence to show, again, the parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament, to show that this was foretold way back in the Old Testament during Moses' time, to encourage them to continue on with this, with, with, with this life of believing in Jesus as the Messiah. <clears throat> he reminds them that Jesus is not only a high priest, but he is a great high priest. And, like, and unlike any other high priest before, he has ascended into the heavens and sat with the supreme high priest himself, God, no other high priest has done that, right? Not Aaron, not Melchizedek, 
none of the other had the privilege to ascend into heaven and sit next to God. Jesus is the only high priest that can do that. All right, so the author challenges the New Testament Jews to hold fast to their confession of faith in him because of this fact. Hold fast to the point that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Let's not lose focus of that. Don't succumb to the pressure from the religious leaders who are challenging Jesus' authority as the Messiah. Right? If, if we go back and, and look at Acts chapter 4, right, Jesus is, has uh, crucified, resurrected. He's already ascended into heaven. We have the beginning of the, of the New Testament church. And these religious leaders, these religious priests are still persecuting the Christians. And in Acts chapter 4, they bring Peter, <clears throat> they bring Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin and start questioning them about who gives them the authority to speak this way. And in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 of Acts, they say this. They say, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus, fully human, fully God, is the foundation of our faith. This is what gives us the ability to speak his name. Faith in him gives us the ability to share him with other people through what we say and through what we do. And the author of Hebrews, again, is reminding these Jewish people they have this right as as well because of their faith in Jesus, because he is the Messiah. Don't lose focus of that. Don't succumb to the religious leaders who are telling them that he's not the Messiah. And as it says in Isaiah, and he is the cornerstone of the church, as it says in Isaiah 28:16. And again, despite all this, he was human. He was a man just like me who walked this earth, just like I do. That's about where the similarities end. Because after that, he was able to walk the earth and do so without sin. He faced the temptation, same temptations I do and you do, and he did not sin. This is the first type of high priest we see. We see our sinless high priest. We look at verses 15 and 16 again. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't have to be perfect. I tell my boys all the time, there's only one perfect man ever to walk this earth, and it's not them. It's not me. Right? Jesus Christ is the only perfect man to walk this earth, and he did so as a human. Just imagine that for a second. He walked this earth. He lived among people. He didn't live in a cave as a hermit. He lived among people like we do, and he never sinned. He never had a bad thought. He never said a bad word, right? He never gossiped about people. And I'm pretty sure there's plenty of times he wanted to make fun of people. But he never did that either. He walked this earth, and he did so without sin. He is our sinless high priest. Why is this important to our faith journey? Because Jesus knows what we face every day. 
Jesus knows, Jesus lived the temptations that we live with every day. And yet he didn't sin. This should be encouraging to us. Right? It shouldn't be a barometer that we measure ourselves against. Because that gets discouraging. Because we're going to fall short of that barometer every day. The encouraging part should be, I can do that with Jesus. I can't do it my own. I can do it with Jesus. Because he did it. And, and the, 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 the cool thing it, to me is that he wants to help us, right? He wants us to, as it says in Hebrews, approach his throne with confidence, us knowing that he's there for us. Every time I fall short and I go to, and go to God, it, it's not, oh, here he comes again. It's, yes, here he's coming because he needs my help. God wants us to him because he gave us Jesus, his sinless high, sinless high priest. He can show us how to defeat temptation. <clears throat> consider this analogy. Say I want to learn how to fly a plane. Am I going to go to somebody who's never flown a plane before? Or am I going to go ask a pilot who knows how to fly a plane? All right, I'm going to go ask a pilot who knows what, they're, what he or she's doing. Same thing with Jesus. If I need forgiveness, or if I need to ask for forgiveness for falling short of his glory, I want to be able to go to somebody who lived and faced the same temptations, who's going to understand what I'm going through. And that's our Jesus. He understands what we're going through. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to, to come to him with our problems. And we all have the power to do that with him. All right, so what temptations do you face every day? Right? Are, are, are they sexual in nature? Is it gossip? Is it speaking poorly of others? Is it abuse? Is it alcohol or drugs? Whatever it is, he wants you to lay it at his feet. He wants our sins. He took our sins to the cross for us. This is what verse 16 is referring to. We can approach that magnificent throne of grace with confidence because he knows he will wash our sins away. As we sung about this morning, again, Jordan, no, no idea it's going to be in my message. And as it says in Isaiah 118, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they'll be like wool. So Jesus is our sinless high priest, and because of this, we have eternal life. Let's move on in, uh, in, in Scripture. Hebrews 5, 1 through 4 says this, says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes his honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Right, as we already talked about, the high priests were selected and called by God himself. Right, they didn't appoint themselves. There was no vote, which right now might feel great if God just appointed our leaders and we didn't have to vote. Right, I think the world might be a little bit better. 
but God appointed these high priests in this role. They were selected by God. Yes, they had to come from the line of Aaron. They had to be descendants of Aaron. But God chose Aaron and his descendants to be the high priests. They didn't choose themselves. And again, the high priest is a representative of the people, and his job is to offer sacrifices for their sins. The high priest is a great example of a servant leader. When they were appointed that role, they knew what their job was. Their job was to serve the people that they were being, the Israelites that were, under, that were underneath them. Just like Jesus came to be a servant leader. That's our high priest. Okay. He came to lead us by serving us through giving us his life for eternal life. The high priest would look to for advice and guidance, and they led the other priests in helping people learn how to worship God daily. But again, there's one as great as they were. The one thing they couldn't do is promise eternal life. And that's where Jesus comes in, and that's why he's the great high priest. So this is the second characteristic of our high priest. He is our appointed high priest. You see in verses 5 and 6, it says this, In the same way Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was appointed by God. Jesus had the power to appoint himself, our great high priest. But he didn't. He was appointed by God. The author of Hebrews uses two Old Testament verses here to show Christ's divine appointment. Again, I believe as encouragement to, these, to, the, to the Hellenistic Jews of this was foretold in the Old Testament. So here's some Old Testament scripture to, to, to show that we knew Jesus was coming and was going to be the Messiah. Messiah. He would, again, Jesus was appointed by God to serve his people. As it says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is your anointed, excuse me, your appointed high priest. He was appointed by God for one purpose and one purpose only, so that we may have faith, and through that, through living that faith, have eternal life with him. So our appointed high priest does that for you and for me. So let's look at the last three verses of Hebrews 5, and we see the third characteristic of, of Jesus as our high priest. Verses 7 through 10 says this. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So though, so though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and he was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Here we have a picture of the last characteristic of what our high priest is. That's the perfect high priest. This portion of Hebrews also continues to speak very clearly to the humanity of Christ. If we look at verse 7 again, 
During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus was a human. He had emotion. He cried. He prayed. He pleaded. Right? If you don't believe me, let's look at Matthew 26, 38 through 39, when he's in the garden before he's about to be, turned, be handed over by Judas. It says, then he said to him, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Three verses later in verse 42 of Matthew 26, it says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It doesn't get more human than that. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew the pain that he was about to endure for us. I don't believe Jesus was fearful of what was coming. I'll use the word angst for lack of a better word, angst. But he wasn't fearful because he knew it was his job to be obedient to the will of God. How many of us can say that? How many of us can say, I'm going to be obedient to your will? And his obedience from us is not asking us to be hung on a cross. Might be asking us to go speak to someone we see in a store. Or to stop and give someone food who's on the side of the road asking for food. Or to serve in whatever opportunities come up through the community or in Legacy City, whatever it is. How many of us are willing to say, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to be obedient to that. And yet Jesus, knowing that he's about to go through unimaginable pain, says, not my will, but your will. I always found a little strange that Jesus asked for the cup to be taken from him. And, and, and doing research this week as, as, as I was working through the message, what I learned is that more, most biblical commentators believe Jesus wasn't asking for himself not to be crucified. He was asking God to make sure he was resurrected so we could have eternal life. So even to the end, he was thinking about us, not himself. He, there's no greater picture of a servant leader than that. He had the power to stop it from happening, and yet, because of his love for you and for me, he didn't. He asked God reverently to make sure he gets resurrected for you and for me. And God heard his prayer. And when he breathed his last breath in Matthew 27, 50-51, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. The curtain that was blocking the entrance to the Holy of Holies, the curtain that the only person that could go and, and have face-to-face -face conversation with God was torn in two, opening up the way for us to be able to communicate with God directly. 
We don't need the priest. We don't need the high priest because we have Jesus, and he's our high priest. He became perfect in his obedience to God's will. So Jesus was made perfect through the obedience and being our sinless high priest. He suffered because he was our appointed high priest. And through his resurrection, he became our perfect high priest. So the question this morning, so who is your high priest? Who do you hold on that pedestal where God should be? Because I guarantee whatever is there can't do that for you. He can't give you eternal life. He can't promise you heaven. So what are you chasing that you need to stop chasing? What are you chasing or focusing on that's stopping you from being obedient to the will of God? Whatever it is, you need to remove it. And our high priest, Jesus Christ, needs to be on that pedestal. Because nothing is going to satisfy you like him. As it says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's encouragement for us. He walked this earth. He's a human. And yet he didn't sin. He wants our sins. He wants us to lay them at his feet. We can't be afraid to do that because he's going to forgive us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We're not worthy of your love, Lord. We're not worthy of your, of your forgiveness. We're not worthy of, of your grace, Lord. And yet it is there for us. And all we need to do is ask. All we need to do is, is, is lay our sins at your feet. And scripture says you just you take them all away, Lord. Lord, so I just, I just pray this morning, uh, if, if someone here, Lord God, who, who needs to lay them, these sins at your feet, Lord God, needs to lay these, these, these habits or the, these rituals or, or these things that, that are replacing you in your life, they need to lay them at your feet, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you just, you break hearts, Lord, that you soften hearts, Lord, that they see there's a way to, to break the, 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 repet- the repetition of temptation, the repetition of sin, Lord God, that there's a way to do that, and it's only through, through you, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, that, that you impress on, on, on someone, Lord God, who needs to, to lay this at your feet, Lord, that they do that this morning, and, and you begin to work and change their lives, Lord. For it's only through you, Lord, that we have eternal life. There's no other way to earn it. There's, no, there's nothing that we can do to earn it, Lord God. It's there for us freely. So I just pray for for you to move in our lives to help us continually seek your word and to focus on you. And we thank you for being our high priest, Lord God, that we can come to you and communicate with. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.